I'm Charles Christoph Carter. And I'm Ellen Carter. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of Serial Dreadfuls, your place to find thrilling original content spanning everything from dark historical fiction to science fiction, horror, adventure, and the supernatural. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast provider of choice. Every review helps the show. Thank you. In our last episode, Lee Atherton was menaced by a gang of young men loitering outside her apartment building. Convinced that they had followed her inside the building and were outside her apartment door, she was shocked to find two police officers instead. Her shock turned to dread upon learning from the officers that her young daughter had been shot. And now, without further ado, the next episode of The Seal of Solomon by Charles and Ellen Carter. Listener discretion is advised. that the officers couldn't answer her questions. They had told her where Holly had been taken, but they had no idea of her present condition. She grabbed her purse, locked the door, and left the two men standing in the hallway, as she had done once before when two other officers from their precinct had come to notify her about John. She knew from that wrenching experience that the officers couldn't take her to the hospital. She would have to find a way to get there on her own. She rushed down the fourth flight of stairs, her hollow footsteps echoing against the stone steps. As she exited the building, she noticed that the teenagers, who only minutes before had menaced her, had now vanished. Suddenly, the fear they had ignited seemed trivial. Lee began a fast-paced walk that quickly became a run as she made her way back up Camden Street to Seaford Avenue. Back amid the noise and the confusion and the smells that threatened to suffocate her, Lee clutched her purse in one hand and, using her other hand, tried to hail a cab in the snarl of late afternoon traffic. Several cabs passed her, some with occupants and some without. All of them seemed oblivious to her waving. Try and stay calm. Becoming frantic won't help the situation, she told herself. She made her way slowly up the avenue, walking in the street next to the parked cars, moving against traffic, searching the horizon of painted metal for an on-duty light. A yellow taxi stopped. She grabbed the door handle and was about to open the back passenger's door when the driver quickly turned toward her. She didn't realize that the cab hadn't stopped for her. It had stopped because the traffic had backed up momentarily. The cab driver's dark, angry eyes glared at her as his thin lips curled into a snarl, exposing his dark, stained yellow teeth. 
Greasy brown hair hung over one eye. His pasty complexion suddenly turned red as he barked. Can't you see I'm off duty, you fucking junkie whore? Without warning, the taxi jumped forward and the door handle jerked out of her hand. The unexpected forward momentum almost threw Lee to the pavement. Half running, half staggering, bumping into parked cars, she fought to gain her balance. I'm not a junkie and I'm not a whore, you bastard, she screamed at the retreating splotch of yellow. Within seconds, the taxi he was driving was swallowed up by the mass of vehicles, the way her hopes and dreams had been swallowed up by this city that had become her living nightmare. She regained her footing in time to see a black sedan, its horn blasting, weaving wildly across the sea of vehicles towards her. My God, she thought, he's lost control. He's going to hit me. And she quickly jumped back into the space between two parked cars. To her surprise, the car screeched to a stop in front of her. The black car bore numerous dents, no doubt, as testimony to the lack of prowess of the man who drove it. Large white block letters pasted to the side of the front door formed two words, livery cab. The dark-skinned driver leaned across the front seat and peered up at her through the open window. In broken English, he asked, You need a cab? Badly rattled, still trying to fathom how she had just escaped what seemed certain death, Lee couldn't make sense of the cab driver's question. His nonchalant manner caught her off guard. He repeated the question, this time louder than before, and with an edge of irritation to his accented voice. Hey, lady, do you want a cab or not? Lee nervously scanned the horizon for more likely options, but saw none. She realized finally that even if she continued hailing cabs, she had no guarantee that one would actually stop. After all, one yellow cab had already proven that. She turned her attention back to the black livery car, just in time to see the driver wave her off, clearly exasperated by her lack of response. As he got back behind the wheel, she bent down and called to him through the open window, Yes, I want a cab. There was a look of irritation on his face, but he pointed to the back door and waited for her to get in. Where to, lady? St. Francis Hospital. He nodded, and she saw him glance at her for a moment in his rearview mirror before he pulled back into the slow-moving throng of traffic. All the windows were rolled down, and it was obvious that this particular taxi didn't have any air conditioning. But she was thankful for the rush of hot air provided by the forward movement of the car. It helped to quell the body odor of the driver and the overpowering scent of some type of spiced oil that emanated from a bottle he had glued to the dashboard. She quickly grew to dread the frequent stops the driver had to make as the traffic executed a lurching dance up the avenue. The combination of her close proximity and the inconsistent airflow made her exposure to the driver's offensive body odor almost unbearable. His use of obscenities and the flailing of his left arm out of his window were as reckless as his driving. The cab just narrowly avoided colliding with other cars on the crowded avenue. The cab driver's abrupt stops and sudden swerves were all that kept metal from hitting metal. Lee leaned her head back against the seat and turned her face toward the open window. She was feeling nauseous. She could feel the saliva beginning to flow into her mouth the way it always did just before she had to vomit. She tried to keep her face as close to the window as possible, hoping she'd be able to make it to the hospital without getting sick. Her head had begun to pound. 
the question that frightened her the most swept back into her mind. Was Holly still alive? She knew Holly had been alive when the two officers received the news, or they would have told her otherwise. Her greatest fear was that her daughter would die before she was able to reach the hospital, before she could get a chance to be with her. Lee winced as the stark realization of this last thought made itself painfully clear. Tears had already begun to flow from her eyes. She fought to hold back the panic that was threatening to overwhelm her. She wanted to scream at the little man who was shouting and waving his arm. She wanted to tell him, hurry the hell up, get me to the hospital, damn it. She leaned forward and with an urgency in her voice asked instead, isn't there any way you could go faster? The man scowled in his mirror at her and said, Look, lady, it's the damn traffic. The cab suddenly darted between two cars, almost hitting one, and the driver screamed another obscenity. He added in his broken English, If I could go faster, I would. At any other time of the day, she would only have been about 15 minutes from St. Francis, but rush hour changed that. The streams of people making their way home threatened to turn the 15-minute ride into an hour-long ordeal. She fell back against the seat again. She felt helpless, unable to change the situation. Not again, damn it, she muttered under her breath. I'm not going to let it happen again. Even as she said it, she realized how foolish that statement was. She didn't have the power to stop what had happened to Holly any more than she had had the power to stop what had happened to John. Her thoughts drifted painfully back to the day she had told her husband about her fears, about how the neighborhood was getting worse, and how she feared for Holly's safety. She had suggested to John that perhaps he could get a part-time evening job so they could move to a better part of the city. A friend of John's at the bus company where he worked told him about a towing service that needed a tow truck operator for evenings and weekends, but he would need a commercial license. John took the test for the license and soon after got the job. She had thought that it would only take a few months to save enough money to leave Camden Street with the extra money John was getting from his part-time job, but that was not to be. The police had come one evening not long after he had started working for the towing company, just the way they had come today. What they had said and the way they had said it was so similar, but of course the officers weren't the same ones. They hadn't been able to give her a ride to the hospital that night, and she had to take a cab. Her husband was only 15 minutes away at St. Francis Hospital, only 15 minutes by cab at night, but by the time she arrived, he had already died. The two officers in charge of the case later told her that, as far as they could determine, John had been the victim of a hit-and-run. She remembered sobbing. How? How did it happen? They had simply explained that two cars had been racing down the highway when one lost control and struck John. However, the man who owned the car John was towing, the only witness to the accident, hadn't agreed with what the officers said. According to him, John had just finished securing the tow lines on his vehicle when the two cars barreled past. He had sworn to her that the man in the red Ford Mustang had deliberately hit John, that he'd had time to swerve, but he'd gunned his engine and slammed right into John and then sped off. What the witness had said still haunted her. Why would anyone want to kill her husband? Though it had been eight months since his death, she still looked carefully at red Mustangs, 
wondering if the car she was looking at was the one that had killed her husband. She later asked the two officers in charge why they hadn't told her about what the witness had said. They stated that John's death was still under investigation and didn't answer her question. And now, a preview of our next episode. Lee finally makes it to St. Francis's emergency room, but is unable to get any real information about her daughter Holly's condition. Is Holly still alive? Who did this to her little girl? Join our Patreon site and become a Dreadnought. For only $3 a month, you'll receive early access to free episodes, exclusive periodic content such as ghost notes and commentaries by the writers of Serial Dreadful's original series, exclusive access to Season 2 of each series as those episodes are released, as well as access to the entire back catalog of all episodes in our various series as our podcast goes forward. All this for less than a cup of coffee from you-know-who. Face it, folks, you're not going to get a better deal for original content anywhere. So go ahead and click the link in the show description now to become a Dreadnought and aid in the conversion of the uninitiated masses. <laughs>